Sorry, I'm starting five different stories at once, but this is the great equalizer that the Internet is going to become so fucked up that everyone's going to hate using it and that the people who use it are going to be completely depressed and wrong and misinformed and feel disgusting about their existence. And everybody who only deals with like what they physically see with their own eyes is going to be happy and like, you know, empathetic and optimistic that there can still be, you know, compromise and and good decisions and you know de-escalation of violent situations you know that's my completely pie in the sky hope for how things go so if somebody comes to my street corner and starts screaming about how the police are this or how you know trump is that or how you know antifa is this or that i think i just believe that like somehow in my like hero brain i can de-escalate that situation and find compromise and empathy and that's probably not true but until i have to deal with it i can kind of live that fantasy Everybody, welcome to Landline Podcast. You're lucky because on today's episode, it's Cocktail Hour with Giles. Featuring a Vermont hostel owner pretending to be European and an elitist New England grad school student trying to find a purpose for his life. Times a charm, dude. I think it's because there's multiple Bluetooth devices connected, and all of a sudden I'm talking on a speaker in a different room, or I don't know. I don't know. Well, your sound is excellent, so is it? Is it good? All right, cool. I got the AirPods in. I'm sitting outside. If the car's driving by, gets too loud, let me know. Did you ever see that Gawker news article, like before Gawker got um, taken apart by Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel in that lawsuit? Um, where they had a petition where people signed a petition that said they would never have sex with someone who had an Apple Watch. No, I never saw that. That was pretty funny. It was like right when Apple... Yeah, it was... uh... So I feel like the landline version of that has something to do with AirPods, but I don't want to make you like a caged animal too early in this podcast, so I'll just leave, leave it there. Oh, man. Well, um, super excited to talk to you. I was just going through all the old voicemails. You know, I think when people listen to the pod, it's like, you have 43 new messages. I love leaving that in because it sounds like so many people are calling the landline. The reality is I just haven't had the patience to erase all these old messages. So when I was listening to the old messages that I had marked as unlistened to, the first one that came up was you leaving a message about your daughter being Millie being born. And so how, how long ago was that? Almost two years ago. Nice. All right. So I was thinking it could have been four years ago and I was really pathetic. But... She'll, be, she'll be two in a couple of weeks. And do you remember her weight? Do you remember an, the announcing of her weight? Is that what I did? Yeah. You said, and now I can't remember. It's been at least 15 minutes since I listened to it, but it was like, 
I don't. It, it couldn't have been four, four, four. Two maybe. Eight two. All right. Well, we'll we'll compare it. We'll see. The over under is eight two. I think. There you go. I'm gonna go over. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in the phone booth. I'm. Um, my family has gone for a walk in the woods. Um, I'm excited to podcast. It's Sunday before the election. I'm talking to former hotelier Giles on the podcast. I mean, life is good. I, I don't know. I'm interested to know, like, I think the national stress level is at an all-time high. But yeah. but I bet a lot of people think that if you were in, like, the green, nestled in the beautiful foliage of the Green Mountains in Vermont, the stress level might be a little bit lower. So, like, what is the stress level in Vermont? The stress level is high. It's high. It's weird. It's like the safe, you know, allegedly the safest place in America to be based on caseloads and COVID and health. But um, people are stressed out. It's, um, it's interesting. We live in a, you know, a community that over the last 50 years has been based around a ski mountain. And who knows if that's going to be open or what happens there. So that's interesting. Um, the hospitality industry around here is all over the place in terms of what people are able to do or can do or want to do, et cetera. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, Vermont's an interesting place. There's so many people that are, you know, hyper liberal and there's so many people that are hyper conservative, but there's just not that many people right. handling a crisis of this sort, although difficult, seem to be relatively manageable just because there's, what, 600,000 people? I mean, it's it's a totally different beast than, you know, the neighborhood. Well, how many people are in the neighborhood you live in in Portland? You know, like... Thousands. Yeah, like, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just an interesting, interesting situation on all levels. Nobody really knows what the plan is. Is there a plan? Um, well, there's certainly not a plan. We know We know the answer to that question, but... <laughs> but uh, I think there's hope that there's a plan. So that's interesting about conservative because everyone does think of, of Vermont as the most like liberal place on earth. And in a lot of ways it is. But I will say from personal experience growing up, uh, you know, literally a stone's throw from Vermont, being able to see Vermont from my childhood home across the river in New Hampshire, that Vermont is the kind of place that when you're gassing your car up to go to like a bougie you know, ski race or go to your summer job at the organic farm or whatever it is that you're doing, you may look over to a, a big Chevy truck that's idling, idling in, oh no. That's a great story. Landline. We're back gassing your car up. Listen, this is one of the, the pitfalls of being in Vermont right now is that all these people have moved up here and the internet has gone from being amazing to spotty at best. Wow. That's like a real thing. Bandwidth is a real physical thing. Dude, there's like, we're lucky we live on kind of a main road, but, uh, cause we're right off 100, but the people who live up like on Prickly and up uh, in East Warren and up over in like the condo areas in Sugarbush, the bandwidth is like people have been saying it's dropped 50, 60%. You know, you have all these kids doing online schooling, streaming and everything going on. And it's just like, 
there's no bandwidth anymore. So we get internet dropped all the time. Man, it must take forever to download a topless photo of Jenny McCarthy, just like in 19... 19- one line of pixels at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you were saying you were gassing up your car. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to paint the scene. I just know for a fact that I can't remember where I was going, but it was not uh, hunting is the point. And I was gassing up car up on like a cold November morning, and there was a Vermonter in the truck in the gas bay, you know, across from me. And all of a sudden, I like sort of looked back quickly, you know, had a double take, and there was just a dead, gutted deer in the back of the truck, like, staring right at me with its antlers. All the time. So, and that's... That time of year, too. Yeah, to- exactly. So, um, well, so do you see Trump signs? No. So that's the one thing you do, but not, like, on the level you see them in, you know, like, rural Pennsylvania or, you know, upstate New York or... It's still very, like, everybody here, I mean, this is one of the great things about Vermont, is everybody kind of lets everybody do and be and, like, their own person, do their own thing. Um, As long as you aren't, like, shoving it in people's face. And everybody around here, other than, you know, there's the rabble-rousers and there's the, you know, the people who get off on that. But for the most part, everybody's just kind of keeping to themselves in terms of where they stand politically, even though you kind of know where most people stand. And where, where's the mask? What is the, you know, what's the mask intersection happening? Like at Mihurons, the locally owned grocery store, like, is there, are, you know, I'm sure Vermont has strict mask rules because Democrats yeah, are in charge. The strictest rules in the country, which is why when, like, people from Vermont go places and then come back, everybody freaks out. But then when people from other places come here and they see the, the level of compliance and kind of adhering to the wishes of the governor or, you know, the government of Vermont, people are doing a pretty good job. You have people who are like, fuck this, I'm not going to fucking wear a mask. But you also have most people just being like, you know what, not that big of a deal. Yeah, I would, it's, it's uh, I don't know, I could just have a series called Masks and just talk about them endlessly because... I don't know, Giles, where are you at with people? I know where I'm at, so I guess this is a rhetorical question, but people running outside with masks on, I just, I, I'm sorry. I think that there has been one known transmission of COVID-19 in the world that has happened outdoors. Now, that must be not true, like, you know, either or, like, right. but still, the idea that, I just don't, I don't get it. If you're running, you're moving. So first of all, you're moving so quickly. Mm-hmm. You're outside. You can choose to be like at least six feet. You know, remember the mask was, you need to wear a mask when you cannot socially distance inside at a safe enough, you know, length that you could potentially breathe in someone's sneeze or whatever. That's a great story. I just don't see how that translates to, like, I need to run around my neighborhood with a mask on. Am I being a dick? I mean, you're making an observation. It's more of like a, if, if it makes the person feel better, whatever, wear a mask. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, right. if you want to run with a mask on, who are you Who are you hurting? In the, you know, like, nobody. And if you're cool with it, I don't know. It's just one of those, like, you... It was like I was really bothered with the kids having to wear masks at school in the beginning. 
um, before, like in the summer when they, you know, that came out as one of the things. I was like, dude, school isn't, you know, you, like, these are kids. You got to be able to read facial expressions. You got to be able to, you know, help them get through this as well. I mean, it's a very confusing time for kids. And uh, and then, you know, as you think about it more and whatever, they're so adaptable. Like they don't care. They just want to see their friends and be at school. You know. And it's like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, if it helps and it, it allows people to feel more comfortable doing whatever it is they're doing, then I guess go for it, you know? Yeah, I'm it's so, a, so personally offended. It's you, dude. It's, yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to be like, no, don't wear a mask. And you don't want to be like, you have to wear a mask. And it's, it's, I don't know, everybody's, everybody's, you know, kind of drawn their line in the sand and you know, the, the pandemic fatigue or whatever they're talking, lock in, lockdown fatigue that they're talking about, that, you know, people are just getting loosey-goosey and whatever. I mean, what what, is, what do you expect to happen? Like, how long can people be just kind of led along with this, like, oh, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. Well, it's been, what, seven months now? And what have we figured out? I guess how to work on Zoom. That's what we figured out. <laughs> right like how to yeah how to use you know how to use more technology how to completely accelerate the process of nobody seeing each other in, in person anymore i thought we were like 30 years away from that but it turned out we were like three and a half months away from that so yeah yeah people just normalizing you know computers no yeah normalizing life on the computer but also like you know no social contact you know physical contact at a minimum all sorts of things that like humans as just biological beings need desire crave it's it's crazy man i don't know i wish i had an answer for you it is crazy that um and i want to tell one more story about your community and then i kind of want to i know you took some notes and we can kind of blast off into whatever, oh, whatever yeah. area we want but um i was going to say it's like the biggest problem humans have is their ability to survive. Like all of the issues around, you know, climate change and trash in the ocean and food and water scarcity and all this stuff is really, I mean, fundamentally related to the fact that there's just too many people or there will just too many, to be too many people at some point. And you think about, you know, how great it is to have all this technology to keep people living longer um, and, you know, cancer treatments and the list goes on and on and on diabetes medicine and, you know, every single commercial during 60 minutes. And yet if we were all pigs or what, whatever dolphins, we would all just, or trees for that matter, you know, with whatever Dutch elm disease, we would all just be, our brains wouldn't operate in a, like, we need to stay away from you. Although I'm sure some biologists could tell me that dolphins as smart as they are, have learned to like stay away from sick dolphins and elephants too. So it's like, we, it would be, we'd be better off if we didn't have the ability to like, you know, make masks via slave labor, Uyghur slave labor in China and immediately ship them all over the world to protect ourselves from living because, you know, a third of the population would die and then we would actually have enough natural resources to live again. So it's like this, it's, it's almost like we have, you know, people, it's interesting. There's political parties who are always like, you can't, you know, science is against faith or science is against mother nature. And like, you know, whether it's like abortion or whatever the things are, well, okay, how about the science of staying alive till we're 150 years up and then never being able to, you know, actually live a, a life of clean air and clean water because 
we're all not only are there 10 times as many people as there used to be, but we're all living three times as long as we used to. It's like, you know, 300 times the the um, the consumption that there was in 1700 or whatever. Nothing. You've gone dark. You've gone blank. That's a great story. No, I just it's just like, where do you go with that? What do you, like, like, there's so many. Like questions, but then, you know, every question, if you get an answer, there's more questions like. Are there too many people or will there be too many people or, you know, like, is the planet just going to regulate itself? Yeah. Because well. like fun, fun stat. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you took every single person in the world, you could give them two acres each and everybody would be able to fit inside the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's 15.8 billion acres in Texas. Wow. So in that sense, like, <laughs> how big is the world? Like, it's fucking huge, dude. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, you, you, this is like one of, I guess this is a nice segue. This is one of the points I wanted to bring up with you is I was talking with a friend and he was uh, lamenting about how our generation, this kind of Oregon Trail, we're not really fully Gen X and we're not really fully millennials. And like, what are, what have we accomplished? Like, what have we done? We're not the internet creators. We're, you know, the early adopters, but we didn't start it. And we're not the, you know, the ones coming out of college with, you know, quarter million dollars worth of debt. And we're just kind of in this weird flux or uh, static state of just kind of getting on with life, having kids and doing things and, you know, living basically. He's like, you know, you have the greatest generation and you have the silent generation and you have the, the hippie generation, you know, like all these people were known for things and gave things to society. Like, what have we done? And my, my kind of like initial response was, well, we're the first generation raising kids who are actually empathetic to the global issues that the world is facing immediately. You know what I mean? Like if you ask any kid under the age of, let's say 15 or 10 even, if climate change is going on, they're going to say, yeah, and they're going to say we need to do something about it. Like they're cognizant of things at such a young age that we were never cognizant of. They're like, we need to be able to kind of mold and shape them and shepherd them into, you know, leading because they all actually do believe in science, whether or not they know it or not. You know, this weird um, responsibility to like, create this generation of people that are probably going to be the ones who save the planet. Yeah, absolutely. The I was just thinking of the endangered species puzzle that we have that is my son Homer's favorite puzzle. It's a giant floor puzzle and it's just all it's all of endangered species and he's like it's not like endangered species I'm depressed like can I get a you know a, a crown and coke and I need to like go smoke a butt and walk around you know, texting, it's like, look at this amazing endangered species. Like we've got to save its habitat. And like, you know, what's really important that we conserve the African Savannah or whatever, or even back to your, not to backtrack, but back to the mask at school thing. Cause I felt exactly the same way. Like we were watching the world series the other day. Um, Homer was staying up late and watching a little bit of the world series game with me. And which was very landline in a lot of ways. Baseball all of a sudden is kind of doing the end around on football and basketball and just being like a little bit more homespun and 
um, you know, a warm blanket of, of times gone by, like very intense, like seventh inning pitching matchups and things like that. But that's a whole other story. He was like, why aren't those baseball players wearing masks? That's the first thing he said. I was like, oh, boy. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting. I think that, you know, people, one thing I used to say that, you know, like everything I say may hold some truth to it is that we are our grandparents' grandchildren, meaning that it was like, okay, our grandparents got through World War II and then sort of gave our parents the land of milk and honey. And then they we were the land of milk and honey was sort of like so baked into our existence um as a generation it wasn't like we've struggled and so we we deserve this it was much more just like this is just the way things are and we were the first people to wonder like is this does this really make us happy like or or does like is there another side to like eating unlimited fast food is there another side to just like buying, you know, as many shin guards as we need every time we get older in soccer? Is there another side to flying all around for vacations or whatever? And I I don't want to say, like, everybody is wealthy enough to fly for all their vacations, and we weren't either. We drove in the car a lot of times. But this idea of just this sort of, yeah, sure, we'll go on a cruise, and it's going to be all-you-can-eat guacamole or whatever. And it's like, where does this guacamole come from? And, like, how many shrimp are in the sea? Because, man, there is a lot of them at this wedding. So there must be, I mean, man, there must be a lot of shrimp. And then all of a sudden you're, like, watching planet Earth and realizing what a shrimp looks like when it, when it you know, swims underwater. And that, you know, it's kind of a part of an interesting ecosystem, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're right. There's a lot there. Um, and I wonder, it's almost, you know, one thing it brought up is at business school, You'd have business school classroom is like 60 people. And I went to a school that had 65% of the class was from another country. And so a lot of Indians, a lot of um, Chinese, a lot of South and Central Americans. And we would be going through these discussions in these classes. And it didn't really matter if it was a finance class or a strategy class or even sort of more of like a soft skill like, you know, emotional intelligence or something like that. The people who were always bringing up ideas of like social and, you know, environmental good baked into to businesses were the Americans, not the, the people that were from overseas. And it's not because we're inherently better or more empathetic. It's the idea that we feel guilty and because our like extreme capitalism has resulted in all these problems. Like it might have been manufactured overseas, but that's just because we wanted to move chemicals from the Midwest to Asia or whatever so that our rivers could be clean again. We really were the ones that like the extreme growth out of the 1940s was led by American capitalism, which has all these great things. I'm not necessarily saying it's all bad, but now we're saying like, man, we got to give some of this back, right? We have foundations, we have nonprofits, we have impact investing. And the people from China and India are like, well, fuck that. We just waited 150 years to finally be able to start making real money and bring millions of people out of poverty. We don't, we're not worried about negative externalities. We're worried about building buildings and having people live in air conditioning so it doesn't get too hot. So, you know, I do think that that makes the American of our age in a very unique situation. Sorry if that kind of took us away, but I just had some. No, but that's a great, I mean, it's a great point in the sense that like, Everybody worldwide is now like catching up to the that we created, you know, after you know post World War, post World War II, 
And now all of a sudden we've played that game for 70 years and we're like, you know what, let's change the rules and be about good now. And everybody else is like, fuck that, I'm going to make money. You know what I mean? Like, you guys did it and raped the planet for 70 years, now it's our turn. Right. And and you can't, you can't blame them. You can't, like, you know, we're, we're how many, we're, we're not even two centuries out of colonialism, Alex. You know, like, talk about movement of resources and... <laughs> right. Like just raping and pillaging people through capitalism and democracy um, for the benefit of somebody who lives, you know, how many thousands of miles away on an island in Europe. It's yeah. a, this is the know, how much How the, much fucking shit is, uh, is China buying up in Africa right now? Totally. Or like, look at the, look at what's going on in the rainforest in, in Brazil, which by the way, you know, and I blame liberals for this. Like, I know that this is a pretty liberal podcast, but the liberal media has been so obsessed with how Donald Trump is the unique problem on planet Earth that, like, only once every six months do we hear about how ranchers and, you know, mining companies in Brazil are just burning the entire rainforest down in order to make money, really. I mean, that's the core of it. And, and you know, that there's a carbon sink there and that, you know, all the biodiversity in the world lives there. And there's all these, you know, there's, you know, indigenous people still left there. And and we're like, you guys got to, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is like, we got to stop doing this. And it's like, hey, man, we're trying to, like, be able to have enough money to make sure that we have, like, bandages at the local first aid um, post. But, um what I was going to say about Brazil and that specific situation, you know, they're burning the, a lot of the burning of the rainforest is so that they can clear the land, take out all the stumps and trees and sticks, and then uh, grow corn to feed cattle to sell beef because the worldwide demand for beef is going to grow exponentially as more and more people, especially in Asia, you know, go from being like poor to medium or, or upper class. So... The idea of like, I always think about this. How do you actually stop that? Like, like, let's just blue sky the idea. Like, imagine you could stop that. Well, and this is where I'm optimistic about the future. This is where I think that we're going to live in a world where you can plant a tree in your backyard and someone's going to Venmo you like $17 for it because you're sequestering carbon and there's some sort of like blockchain related locking in of, you know, this tree is going to sequester this much carbon and you're getting a transaction for it. So I think there's like a lot of hope there. But what what do those people need to stop burning down the Amazon? They need money. So it's like if you just if you thought about how do you actually stop burning down the Amazon? Like what do we all do? Do we all pay? Does everybody pay $17? Hold on, but why do they need money? This is, this is I think this is a bigger fundamental point is that like we've tried to transfer our way of life in a in almost a I mean and people have consumed it massively especially with the you know, the onset of the internet like they want to consume the American way of life because they think it's so awesome or whatever but like these people don't need flat screen TVs and crazy shit they just want to live and most of them were way happier before or I shouldn't say most of them were it it seems like people were much um, What's the pro- less troubled by life when they didn't have to worry about all the shit they consumed? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the first thing is is, and I'm not criticizing you. I'm just I, recognizing that I could have said the exact same thing. Is like this idea that we're we're like wealthy white men in the global in a in a global comparison, and like uh, like it's really not for us to say who 
whether what these people need. Like they get to decide. Yeah, I'm saying like we shouldn't like be kind of. Uh, I guess I guess the examples being set across the country, whatever you want to call it, or, or there's a. I don't know. You have you have people who had you know their own culture and their own way of life and whatever and uh, who you know how who are we to judge i guess like what i don't know well no we're we can't judge but we can say that the that there are no borders as as it relates to like the the sustainability of the climate like uh, you know, again, I'm not talking about like recycling, you know, like your compostable container from the Whole Foods salad bar. I'm talking about like, is there going to be a chemical imbalance in the Earth's atmosphere that fundamentally alters our ability to like breathe as a as an animal species? And so if 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 scientists are accurate, even semi accurate that you look, you can like look with satellite imagery, like where all the carbon dioxide is trapped and where like trees are actually let's remember that the reason we exist at all is because the conditions were perfect for our evolution right that if you believe in nature that basically the balance between elements and 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 gases was such that we were able to evolve and and thrive and you know survive and thrive and and make many more of us now up to whatever it is nine eight seven billion doesn't even matter so if, if you're saying we're fundamentally altering the number of trees on the planet for the first time in 10, 15, 25,000 years or whatever it is, since, I mean, I guess we need a scientist. We need John Lucy, the constitutionalist, to call up and tell me I'm an idiot because I know he's just listening to this thinking that. But, I mean, when was the last time that humans were at risk? The last ice age, may, maybe, when everything, like, got so cold and there were giant, you know, land bridges between Alaska and, and Russia and, and that time? So my question is, there is no, there is no, it's not like, it's not the, the rainforest losing its biodiversity and its ability to retain carbon dioxide is not a Brazilian far problem. It's an American problem. But the solution is not an American solution. We can't, like, w w ride on our white knight horses and say, like, here, everyone, like, I'm sorry, you don't get Reese's Pieces and Kit Kats. That was so 1990s, but that time has passed. Like, what do we do? We can't tell them whether or not they get big screen TVs. We have to incentivize them to change their behavior, right? Hello? Wow. That's a great story. Landline. Hey. Are you there? Oh my god. <laughs> Woo. Aldo's striking out. That's a great story. Call from Sarah. <clears throat> Man, bandwidth is like a real thing. Dude, my internet is just killing it right now. But wait, why are you calling me through the internet? 
Wow, you need a landline. I have a landline. You want to call it? Yeah, I mean, how are we not just talking on your landline? Well, I, I my phone my phone is dead down in the basement. You got to just just call me from that landline or tell it to me. I can remember 802 landline first skipped voice message. Hey landline, it's Giles from Vermont. Hope you guys are well. Just wanted to call in true landline fashion and tell you that uh, Sarah delivered a beautiful baby girl uh, yesterday morning at one fifteen. Everybody's happy and healthy. Her name is Millie J. Smith. She's great. Mom's great. We're great. Just thought you should know because we love you guys. Hope all is well. Happy Thanksgiving. All that jazz. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, sir. All right? Keep up the good work. You guys are doing great. Love you. End of message. To erase this message, press 7 to save it. Message erased. Landline. 3061. Wow. All right. Well, that was. Think about that. <laughs> that's an all-time biff. Sorry. No, no. I mean, by all of us, I should have asked. It, I was ranting like incoherently and about the Amazon. Doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it's great. We don't know the answer. Is the is the answer right? It's like I'm trying. I'm trying to come up no, with we something. Do know that we probably shouldn't keep doing what we're doing. Right. I think we all agree on that. And this is what, this is like part of what I. I been wondering during lockdown is like there's been all these opportunities to change a bunch of these old systems that are, are really coveted by a generation that's about to die off and i don't mean to be crass in saying that but they're all in their 70s and 80s like it's inevitable everybody dies so like why aren't we modifying the world during a time when like it's pretty slowed down and like change wouldn't be that difficult to implement so that we can like move forward and not continue to keep repeating the same mistakes we're making over and over and over like the unlimited growth model in the business world, although great during the last half of the 20th century, isn't really feasible anymore. And like these, I don't know, you, you just have a situation of like at what point is enough enough for uh, whether it be America or China or whatever, where it's like, how much money do people need? Well, it's interesting. It's a great point. And the, the, the reason that the answer is more is because nobody has figured out as you're alluding to how an economy works if it isn't based on producing new things and selling them right so it's like to your point there's got to be like the recycling economy there has to be the economy based on positive feelings i mean i'm serious right the like that's what concerts are that's what plays are i mean how much do we all miss live performances and experiences and and group like herd parties you know like whatever whatever that is i mean i guess a lot of that stuff is selling beer and selling merch and all of that but um figuring out a way to you know charge more for things that last longer and having people be able to come up with the upfront cost for you know whatever it is a, a, a steel pint glass at a concert or, or whatever it is but i agree with you i mean now, one thing we, we can sort of distill it down to specific, like, areas where Landline Podcast is the foremost global authority versus, you know, the Amazon rainforests and international geo NGOs and things like that is what I think are – and this dovetails really nicely in my mind to what you were talking about about our generation, um, the, the idea that 
we have been given this opportunity for COVID to actually ask ourselves what is fun in our lives. Like what what was it that you were really really enjoying because you now everything's been taken away basically except for a few things and the simplicity of going on a walk with your family watching the moon rise you know trick-or-treating last night was incredible people are so creative around putting candy baskets out or pre-packaging bags or hanging them with clothespins on um you know a wire or whatever but you know all these bike riding you can't, you know, there were all these statistics about how you can't get a bike in certain neighborhoods because the, they're all sold out. You know, I can't get a pair of rollerblades in under three weeks. People are camping. People are, I went to Guitar Center the other day to get like a mic stand or something. And they were like, everybody's recording. Um, you know, people are creating art. People are creating music. And so I do think this idea that it felt like in 2005, 2008, 2010, out of September 11th, that the, everybody was like on this one path to like what the new fun world is going to be is going to be Facebook and it's going to be like whatever that stupid app was where you checked in like at a restaurant and said Foursquare. Foursquare and every, you know, Instagram. And it's like, oh shit, we just had to be in our houses for nine months or whatever it was only using our cell phones and it sucked and everyone was depressed and what was the best part of everyone's day in the last six months at least anyone that i think is interesting was like incredible walks they went on incredible like like beaches that they got to go to for the first time camping trips seeing you know meteor showers like having great bonfires with their neighbors the fire pit whatever our generation is now like we don't need bigger, better, faster, more technology, the bigger, better Escalade, the bigger, better TV screen, all that stuff. It's like there is a law of diminishing returns around sort of digital entertainment and, and interfacing. And I think we're rediscovering like how good a mayonnaise, tomato, jack cheese sandwich on, you know, freshly baked bread can be. You know, now it's interesting because you've kind of you were that person and we shared this. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we're friends and we do this podcast together is is because you kind of, you and I both were like playing cribbage and, you know, skiing and whatever, lighting real fires with wood and newspaper and matches well before COVID-19, like reminded us how good those things are. But I mean, what what has been some of your, I guess you've had a lot of transition in the last year and I don't know how much of that you want to share and it doesn't really matter. I just think it's yeah. in, it, certainly interesting to me that you got out of the hospitality industry, like right when the hospitality industry took a big shit. So, so, so like where, done, 
like how much you've had this is a tremendous change for you you sold your business you're not doing what you used to do and all the covid stuff has happened like i don't know i don't know what the question is there other than you know are you so glad you got out or or are you depressed about the fact that things like the hostel aren't thriving regardless of whether you own them or not i mean i'm glad i'm definitely glad i don't own uh, a shared lodging facility in the middle of a pandemic i mean that's that's just pretty obvious. Anybody would probably agree with that sentiment. It is probably not the easiest thing to be doing right now. And, you know, we hope they continue to do well and, and can make it through this. I think for me personally, it's been hearing the stories from all of our friends in the restaurant and bar world and hospitality world, kind of like all over the world who are like, well, we don't know what the fuck we're going to do. You know, like people who had restaurants who were opening restaurants who were in the process of, you know, like, consulting for a bunch of different places and, and all the things that happened and it just, the faucet turned off and now it's like, when will it turn on to any reasonable level of, of sustainability or, you know, even those people who have found a way to make it work, now they're ever wondering if it makes sense to go back to that model of the restaurant where you have front of the house and back of the house and you have to deal with all those issues because they're finding that without front of the house staff, they're making more money and they're paying less people and it's almost like a much more, it's not almost, it is, it's a much more profitable situation when you remove this service aspect from the service industry. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's Andrew Yang. It's like, what are, what are, you, what are we going to do when people don't have jobs? How are they going to live? Oh, people, they just have to, you know, you got to find different jobs. Like right now, you know, I was managing uh, a bar. At, I was managing the, pitch, the bar at the Pitcher Inn, basically, um, kind of consulting for them and working a couple shifts a week and doing the ordering stuff when this happened. Um, and I'd been there three months, four months at that point. And it was, a, you know, a quality gig. I could walk to work, which is amazing in Vermont. And, um, you know, I was working with some people I really liked. And then this happened, and I've been working landscaping for a buddy, basically, you know, landscaping, shoveling dirt, moving, sure, you know, stumps and fucking fence posts and whatever else happens during work. And because work is work, like, you got to do something. So it's... Uh, no, it's been, it's been a weird year for everybody. I think, you know, I was lucky enough. I got away in January and went down to Costa Rica and did a yoga teacher training. Because so I was like, I got to go do something. And, I, you know, it was one of those, was just coming off that foot injury and was really happy that I did it. And kind of, you know, that kind of catapulted me into just doing a bunch of yoga. And I was doing yoga online on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live for people for, shit, I don't know, it was, I think it was over 100 days. It was like five or six days a week. Wow. And and that was really great. And that, you know, just like that kind of physical activity and self-care and whatever was really helpful for me. And, you know, put it, it, I don't know, I found a lot of comfort and kind of um, benefit from yoga. And it's been great to do. And But, like, also, we're not doing live classes, so I don't really have the ability to, like, teach in person. So it's kind of one of those... Uh, weird situations of like I really enjoy doing it and I hope to continue to do it but when will I be able to actually do it the way you know it would be preferred to do yoga which is with people and being able to teach in, in person so we're just kind of transitioning figuring it all out um, you know it's uh, again I'm 20 years into an industry that's literally collapsed in the last six months <laughs> and I was talking with one of the unemployment people 
And they're like, well, are you looking for work? And I was like, well, do you know of any, you know, like safe hospitality management jobs or front of the house, you know, food and bev jobs? And she just kind of laughed and she was like, yeah, no. So good luck with that. Wow. So go ahead. I have a, I have a positive question to ask you, but what the fuck are you going to do? Basically? Like, it's like, I think one of the biggest takeaways from all of this is that no matter what your situation was in life, whether you were comfortable, whether you were struggling, whether it sucks for everyone. This situation, the taking care of kids, the no school, the summer canceled, the no, you know, gatherings of any kind. Like, it sucks for everyone on every level. And, like, if we could be more empathetic with each other and, and realize that we're all going through this together instead of, you know, half the country that thinks they're going through it by themselves and the other half the country that thinks, the, you know, that half of the country is crazy... Like, what do you do, you know? So what is the, you know, you and Sarah are, we're so creative. And what we have to do before we get off, and I know we can't do this forever. All this has been really fun and, and good content. And ironically, your sound was better on your cell phone. I don't want you to get back on it. But it's just like that is, if anyone ever wants to know, like, well, Alex, you seem like a friendly and fun guy. Like, why do you have anxiety? The answer is because Giles' landline has worse sound quality than his cell phone. That It all boils down to that for me. So, um, but you and Sarah are very creative in all everything you did at the hostel. And I have to ask you about Anna and I's trip to that hostel and your comments on it because I know you listen to the podcast. Um, but before I do that... What has been like the most successful, fun version of food service in your eyes? Maybe not, you know, specific places, but rather where have you been like, this is awesome, super creative way of like the pickup or the packaging or the quality of the food or how they're keeping it hot or like, you know, the beer delivery people or like the, I don't know, serve yourself keg or like whatever. Like what, what's the most creative thing you've seen in COVID in Vermont in terms of food service? For some examples, maybe. And if not, we can just... I'm trying to think, like... You know, everybody's trying to think outside of the box. Um, Whether it be people, like, putting up tents outside so there's covering. Or, um, you know, there's a a lady in town south of us who does yoga. And she set up, like, plexiglass, allegedly individual booths, like, inside the studio. So there's, like, three little plexiglass rooms like if you were in kind of some weird um i don't know like display case (laughs) um but no i think sounds pretty like uh people pay for things like that i'm pretty sure but that's another podcast yeah (laughs) no um uh i don't know if i've seen anything that like blew my mind around here in terms of the way people were doing things i think it was more like how quickly were people able to adapt what the you know, rules were to their model of business. And, you know, like around here, the best example that I could think of is Joey at the Mad Taco. When, you know, everything went down, he was able to open back up, I want to say end of April. Like they were opened up as soon as they possibly could. And he just, they just made a company-wide decision that there was going to be no in-person service until 2021. And so he just kind of said it right there and was like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. You have to call in. You have to blah, blah, blah. And they've been killing it. And they're doing a great job. And they've got great staff who, who you know, adapted and took it all on and took it in stride. And, you know, those types of decisions, this is what I'm saying, like when it was like government doesn't seem to have a plan, the people who have, like, at least even 
plan was going to work. They just implemented a plan. At least they're working towards something. They have a goal, and they're able to like continue to be, um, at least if not successful, relevant, and continue to like maintain and not just be those you know businesses that are basically like we were fucked. You know, we never it, it, never planned for anything like this, nor did we save or you know have the money to uh, exist through something like this. And that's why we're probably going to see sixty percent of restaurants be closed by the end of this. You know, I think that what you just said is the perfect example for all business everywhere, which is just pick a lane. It just just choose your goal and then mark out and visualize the path to achieving it and then go for it. And the whole like havesy this, havesy that, we might do this, we might do that. It never works in any business, doesn't matter if it's food or technology or service or whatever you people want to know that there's a plan when you get there and people want to know what the plan is and they just want to get in line and follow the directions and i think that um you know of course it'll sound like i just hindsight 2020 this but that was the first thing i thought of when this all went down is like the way to get through this as a business that's suffering because you can't have human beings come and enjoy the space the way they used to in any way is just rip the bandaid off right now in, you know, in March or April, like you said, be like, this is, this is fully fucked. This is not, this is not like, maybe this is going to get better. This is, and it's exactly what I was saying a year, you know, almost six, eight months ago. If you wanted, this was the time to go move to Vermont and work on a farm for two years. If you decided in April of 2020, that that's what you were going to do. It was a time to fully decide you're giving up your apartment in New York city or your moving your family closer to home or you're changing careers or whatever. This was an opening for you to fully pivot if you could and kind of just like jumping off and making it happen was all you needed. You needed to just trust that it was as fully fucked as you thought it was and then go for the alternative. So it, you know, it's not really a surprise that a business owner like that deciding to just fully go the other way has, has found success. People like well-branded, ideas and branding is not just the sticker that you get, you know, at the counter to put on the back of your bicycle. It is like the full experience and feeling of what that business is. So that's cool. Um, well, speaking of unbranded businesses, do you have any commentary as a expert in the industry around, uh, the story Anna and I told about, about the, um, the lake cabin, the lake lodge experience? Uh... <laughs> You guys are super cute. You take your family to a nice like cabin thing in the woods in Oregon. I just I commend you for maintaining the the Americana of, of your life and uh, continuing to do things like that. So kudos to you guys. Um, <laughs> with the staff in a situation like that, my first thought was like, why are they even open? Like what what. Is this one of those like, oh man, we got a PPP loan, so we just got to pay people, and we're trying to keep people employed, which is totally commendable if they're doing that. But like, it seems like they not only didn't want to like do a good job, but maybe that they were handcuffed to the point that they couldn't do a good job, so they just kind of gave up. And and the only reason I say this because these regulations that the states have been putting out kind of. I don't want to say arbitrarily, like I know they're trying to do their best and like help everybody get through this, but like the guidelines change every other week. So like 
you know, you guys are asking for a boat, and they're probably like, shit, we didn't clean the boat, or we didn't do something, you know what I mean? Like, and then there's the liability and all of the, you know, the litigious nature of American society, and it's, it, I, I would guess, and I'm not, like, making an excuse for them, terrible hospitality service is, is inexcusable, but they're probably terrified. Terrified of making a mistake, terrified of getting somebody sick, terrified of doing their job, because if they do, then they're liable, you know, like, Ultimately, like just knowing because we there's all the you know there's how many bed and breakfasts in the Meadow River Valley like a hundred, <laughs> you know there's how many places for lodging and restaurants whatever like all these people are dealing with like we want to be able to operate our business but we don't want to operate our business and then get sued. Yeah, it's you're just making me think there needed to be a leader. It really comes down to leadership, right? That you know somebody just saying. Hey, everybody, like, follow me. We're going to figure this out. Like, we're going to take, like you said, drastic steps. We're going to we're gonna be weird about it. We're going to paint, you know, giant arrows on the grass. We're going to, like, fundamentally make people feel like we've pivoted. We're not just doing, like, a half-assed version of what we used to do with masks on. We're, like, you know, we're going to get inflatable bubbles that everybody has to put on when they get on the property. <laughs> It's like just just somebody had to be in charge and say, like, we're fully doing this. And it sounds like they just didn't have that person uh, um, because you need sort of an inspirational camp leader in that scenario where um, they're like, we're going to dress up crazy and act stupid and, you know, get on board with me. Like, believe you have to, like, fully immerse yourself in the character here. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, Landline Podcast, two episodes ago, go back. Um, I think it's called Hipster Lodge in COVID or COVID, Hipster COVID-19, something like that. It's great branding. Landline, 503-894-8480. Call the landline. Call in. We need new messages. Um, yeah. Well, were you laughing? I mean, any other comments? Like, uh, I mean, you guys, dude, like, again, you went to some lodge in the middle of a pandemic. Like, did you think it was going to be normal and on the up and up? Well, I mean, I think things are probably you're coming. I thought Oregon was the strictest place other than California, but I think maybe Vermont, as after this call, I realize is the, the most strict place. You know, Oregon is county by county. It's in the middle of a national forest. So the county it's in is very sparsely populated. So I think that, you know, they were allowed to have indoor dining. They were allowed to have indoor alcohol consumption. Um, a lot of it is outside, you know, I, we've stayed in multiple hotels during COVID. It doesn't bother me. Like, you know, if someone's cleaning the room and sanitizing the stuff, I just don't believe I've said this before, but if you can get COVID-19 on a door handle living life, like I'm fucked already, you know? So I think washing your hands and wearing a mask and keeping your, your self healthy, exercising, breathing fresh air, eating healthy food. You know, I that's I, I feel like you're ninety percent of the way there if you're thirty seven years old and, and that's all you can do. And if, if surfaces are toxic, then basically you can't you can't go out of the house. You just become an agoraphobic person. So I didn't think it was you're either rolling the dice or you're gonna yeah, live on your couch for the rest of your life. But I think I guess that's what it was, and that was kind of the Instagram comment at the end. It was like I think we were convinced that whatever we saw on the internet was what was going on there. And you're right. I mean, maybe it wasn't that we went there that was the stupid move. Maybe it was just that we assumed that by going to a different place than our neighborhood and our home that there that things would be fundamentally different. Um, 
And it turns out, like, we would have been better off, like, renting a house on the beach and just getting takeout food or something like that. So it was a learning lesson. Um, all right. Well, I have one last story for you that's kind of an upbeat moment. But do you have anything else on your list that we didn't get to? I mean, it feels like we could do Yeah, well, just one thing. I yeah. want to know how Portland is because all we see in the news is that there's, I shouldn't say, not so much anymore, but, like, was Anna out there with the moms? Were you out there with the dads? Like, do you know, like, it, it, I know it wasn't as crazy as some of the media is reporting, but then we have some other friends who live there who are like, shit's crazy right now. So, like, what's it like there? Oh, boy. Let me tell you a, I'll answer that. I just want to tell a, you know, a, a um, first world, uh, you know, or white people problem, whatever it's called. Um, I was on Nantucket this summer visiting family at my dad's golf club and um one of his best friends referred to portland right in front of me as a shithole and this is a person i've known my entire life who loves me very much and who i love so i had to have that happen and then i was like uh, after the round of 18 walking back to the car through the parking lot and you know this is a place my dad's belonged to for my whole life and i've grew, grown up at this place and and so people know me um as a kid and now as an adult and someone said um, you know, a guy who's not really a, a friend or anything, but just a guy that's been around the club forever said, hey, uh, Alex McKay, how are you? Like, as he's going to the 10th tee with three other, you know, captains of industry. Um, how's it going? Where are you Where are you hanging your hat these days? Oh, Portland, Oregon. Everybody turned their heads. This was in the middle of, like, the, like, first, you know, there's been surges of COVID. Well, there's surges of Fox News coverage of, of Portland, and this was the first surge. And they clearly they had all like after, you know, steak dinners and cigars the night before been just like watching in their vacation homes Fox News till 1030 that, the night before. So it was like the last thing they did before they went to the first tee the next morning and they all just turned their heads and everyone's like, wow, like um, and I can't I wish I could remember exactly what that was. It's like, um, you know. Man, you got to get out of there, somebody said, or something like that. Which, by the way, you know, if somebody says that they live someplace that you think is shitty, like, you know, even I step on my tongue for at least 30 seconds and then talk shit about them once they're, you know, a little bit further away. So just look a quick life lesson from Landline. So in any event, in that moment, I defended Portland. I was like, yeah, yeah, Portland's doing fine. TV cameras are just on, you know, one are just rolling the same tape on one three block area and then, you know, walked to the car and started just fuming about all the stuff I wish I had said that would have, you know, gotten me permanently banned from visiting my dad's golf club. So anyways, the short answer to your question is that, you know, Portland has had a pretty, pretty serious run of it here. COVID. Governor Kate Brown is um, basically a progressive authoritarian with her COVID rules. Um, you know, the number of cases she wants before we're allowed to go and do life life again is is just basically mathematically impossible, given the testing and the way that we're testing, which there's all this research now that says, like, the test they're doing is completely overestimating how many people actually have COVID because it's getting like dead bacteria and getting positives that false positives from that. But that's another discussion. So we have the COVID. The social unrest is is, you know, significant. I mean, people are used to to protests here. 
Um, the mayor is an idiot, and the person that is running against him is further left of him, making it a very difficult. And and he's up for election. It's like you're basically choosing between a, a pile of garbage and like a dumpster fire for mayor. Um, and then honestly, the wildfires like. You cannot overstate that, in my mind, the wildfires were by far the biggest thing that's happened to this state um, all year. That it just put COVID to shame. It put the protests to shame. It was the unifying factor. Didn't matter if you were basically Adolf Hitler or Lenin or anybody in between. You can't go outside of your house when the smoke is so thick because you can't breathe. So it doesn't matter if you're, like, trying to shoot Antifa or if you're Antifa shooting the the wildfire actually literally dampened the pr- the protests the protests like it was 110 or 15 nights in of protests every night and um and um what's it called then the the fires happened and that was the only thing that could get the protesters to stop coming out was because there was so much fire smoke in downtown portland that you couldn't breathe now they all wear gas masks so that helps but i mean listen i think that um, there that the majority of people in this state and the majority of the people in this city believe that the answer is someplace in between the two sides of, you know, there should be no police and you people have no right to protest. And that it's just I think it's intense because there's more people in homeless camps than there's ever been since I lived here. There's more garbage on the streets than there's ever been since I lived here. And I honestly feel for the police because I can imagine every night going out there like there's it's, it's almost like I hesitate to compare it to a war because I feel like anything you say where that compares it to war could, you know, damn you forever. But It's like there's no winning this for the police. The protesters are not going away. There's nothing that they can do save for, like, completely fundamentally alter the existence of a police force that will quell who what people are saying. And the people who are protesting are not working class black people who I see at the hardware store. They are 21 year old white people with mohawks. So it's like it's pretty hard to empathize with people who are marching downtown, smashing business windows, lighting fireworks on fire, and they're like a bunch of ratty skateboard brats. Um, And I think the scariest part for me was in the beginning when there there was like a lot of, you know, we shall overcome type spirit when 10,000 people were peacefully protesting in Pioneer Square, sitting down cross-legged on the ground, listening to young black men and women lead speeches around how, like, this is not okay. It's not okay that we've um, been given so much less opportunity. It's not okay that people in our community are, you know, so much higher um, in jail and, and more likely to be arrested and all of these things. And then you would see these helicopter shots on the, on the local news where all these people would be like peacefully protesting and literally singing as they walked through the streets. And then there would be this group of like 150 shitbags who actually like planned it perfectly to come down another avenue and then meet them right when they went to like this place in front of the police 
and then like light a bunch of shit on fire and almost be like you know the brown shirts in Nazi Germany who like scared up all of the people's resentment for whoever the people were and like broke a bunch of shit. So you know that's kind of the story from my point of view. It is the same area every single day. You know Portland is an incredibly um, residential place and we a lot of us live in single family homes and the single family homes that are bigger have been turned into like you know three family apartments and things like that there are big buildings downtown obviously but there isn't a lot of like protesting going on in where the people really live it's all in where the starbucks are and and you know any city usa a bunch of high towers with commercial chains on the ground floor and law firms and, you know, accounting firms and um, banks in the upper upper section. So I don't know, man. I got bigger fish to fry, I feel like. Um, I feel like making sure my kid doesn't become a zombie because we live inside and aren't allowed to go to the grocery store is, like, what I'm concentrated on. Hopefully that wasn't too too boring or long of an answer. No, it was crazy. But you're not, like, you don't, you know, like, I we have friends call from overseas and they're like, hey, are you guys everything okay are you safe and i'm like yeah we're safe as fuck i'm like i'm a little worried about my parents in milwaukee but like you feel safe you guys feel like you're regardless or regardless of the outcome on tuesday that like there's uh you're safe i guess you feel secure in where you're living and what the situation could hold going forward i think is more my well i think like statistically speaking that where i live which is not fancy but it's just residential is there's nothing to prove here. Like, you couldn't burn anything or destroy anything in my neighborhood that would be a strategic advantage or, like, a marketing piece for your organization, left, right, or center. It's just, it's nothing. It's nothingville for protesters or counter-protesters. So I physically feel safe, although we did get new doors and the locks are still the temporary ones before the nice, like, finished brass ones come in. So that could be a concern. That's a joke for everybody. Um, and, but you know, I don't know what is the, like, I guess, what is the advantage of feeling scared before I need to, um, is sort of my policy. We were certainly not going to go downtown and, you know, we didn't really go downtown very much anyways. I feel like, I personally feel like none of the people who are like throwing shit at cops or, you know, driving Trump flags through the protesters or, and then shoot, you know, shooting each other or whatever, None of them are me. I don't agree with any of I, – I must agree with some tiny parts of their platforms. But so I'm just – I feel like a, a, I don't know how obligated I should feel to get involved. I feel more obligated to try to, you know, work every day and make money and pay my taxes and teach my kids to be respectful and pick up trash in the park and, you know – buy food from the farmers at the farmer's market and vote on time and, you know, talk to my friends and, you know, make them laugh and ask their advice and give them advice when they need it. Not on the podcast, just in life. And uh, I'm not sure what else, you know, I can do. And I, I'm, I think, you know, like I've said already, I think some of these people who are, I don't think that there's a lot of proper leadership or, like discussion happening. I don't think, you know, but I also, I guess I could get more involved. It doesn't really feel like my people, to be honest with you. And I don't mean like, you know, I feel like anyone who's had their life turned upside down by a sh police shooting is my people. I don't feel like people who 
say like fuck you we're gonna burn this place down or my people and so i just don't i don't know i don't really know how to have the conversation but yeah i feel safe i mean i'm probably you know i'm fuck i'm 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 so privileged that, you know, to feel any other way, you know, doesn't really sound appropriate, to be perfectly honest with you. So, yeah, I mean, but Portland, certainly people think it's a, you know, it's, I've been watching, like, so I've watched The Office four times through. I don't know if you have, like, a binky TV show, but The Office is mine, and I just think it's so funny, as a lot of people do. Um, but I've kind of run the course on that. Finally, at least I got to take an 18 month break and I have been putting on old Portlandia episodes. Did you ever watch Portlandia? No. Portlandia is hilarious. Like Fred Armisen and Carrie, Fred Armisen, I think is maybe one of the five best comedic actors of the last 25 years. I mean, he's just ridiculous, but the two of them are so funny. And, you know, everyone knows about, like, the chicken one where the chicken has a name and where did the chicken come from. But there's so much stuff, and they make fun of so many different people. And it's it's kind of this – when you put Portlandia on, there's this really awesome theme song and all these incredible, like, rolling shots of Portland. Portland is such a beautiful place. It feels like 40 years ago. The Portland that existed in Portlandia five years ago doesn't exist anymore. And it feels that part is sad that the sort of like it's like Portland got too popular, too many condos got built, too much money came in, too many fucking people from California moved up here. And then this has all happened. So it's like the Portland of, you know, that I complained about five years ago is exponentially, you know, more chill than the Portland of today. And I probably am just someone who's always looking for things to be different than they are. So, anyways, or sorry, that was that was the most one-sided uh, landline segment we've had in some time. No, that was great though. I'm glad you guys are, are doing okay. I don't know. You just, I guess, my question really, you know, stemmed from like the way the picture of the rest of America is being portrayed is pretty crazy. You know, and unless you talk to people who are at these things or present with them or whatever, like, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm talking with people from Wisconsin all the time, and there's crazy shit happening in Wisconsin. And it's, you know, you, you get both sides, and you don't really know what to think because you're not there, but you're hearing, you know, firsthand accounts, and I don't know, I'm just glad that you guys aren't, you know, in a situation where you feel unsafe, because I feel like there might be a lot of people out there who, regardless of if they are or are not safe, they feel like they're not safe. And then the fear of COVID, you know, com- you know compounds on that, and it just gets worse. You know, I it's funny. I think I, I choose to be – to feel – I mean, this is, this is not real, right? This is all my imagination, but it's almost like I only want to deal with these issues if they're right physically in front of me. Because I'm so antagonistic towards television media and internet media and this idea that everyone is so quick to say that they know exactly what's going on based on a 15-second clip or something like that. Meanwhile, like, they're going to develop deep fakes now with it where we literally don't know. I mean, it's perfect. It's sorry. I'm starting five different stories at once. But this is the great equalizer that the internet is going to become so fucked up that everyone's going to hate using it. And that the people who use it are going to be completely depressed 
and wrong and misinformed and feel disgusting about their existence. And everybody who only deals with like what they physically see with their own eyes is going to be happy and like, you know, empathetic and optimistic that there can still be, you know, compromise and and good decisions and, you know, de-escalation of violent situations. You know, that's my completely pie in the sky hope for how things go. So if somebody comes to my street corner and starts screaming about how the police are this or how, you know, Trump is that or how, you know, Antifa is this or that, I think I just believe that, like, somehow in my, like, hero brain I can de-escalate that situation and find compromise and empathy. And that's probably not true. But until I have to deal with it, I can kind of live that fantasy. And I think my mom gave that to me. I think she, you know, always told me that people are empirically good. And I just believe that to be the case. You know, I I assume you're sort of similar, right? I mean, like, what are we to do, Giles? Are we to move to Milwaukee and and like, should I, with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, be going and protesting every day? And, and I mean, how are we what, – what is our obligation here? Isn't it to, like, actually vote and have conversations with people who are educated and, and, and making money and paying into the tax world to, like, try to shift the system versus burn shit down? Yeah, I mean, it's way easier to destroy things than to build them up. But, like, mostly, I think, our you know, again, our job is to, like – I don't want to say create, but that's what we did, is create this generation of people who are able to look past all these things that, you know, the generations before us have gotten hung up on for ideological or religious or, you know, secular reasons, merely to get hung up on them. And and instead of, like, plowing forward and moving past things and, and realizing that you can't just keep things the way they were because it doesn't work as the world modernizes. So, like, if we can grow that generation that we've created into like the, you know an empathetic group of people who have understanding for you know each other and each other's situations and the differences of the world and uh, maybe we better off I don't know <laughs> All right well I want to wrap this up with a positive story that I think will make you excited so the last time I ever went to the hostel Tevere, your place of ownership and work, um, you know, it wasn't my finest hour and we won't get into all the details, but, um, I was overserved by the bartender who happened to be you. And I did, I mean, I will say that I'm glad that before you sold the business, I was able to sit at your bar and, you know, drink for free at the corner, like a celebrity all night and act like a buffoon. Um, but the, the more notable thing that happened that evening was that, um, a few hours earlier I had been helping, our mutual friend and my former employer um, at the organic farm down the street um, picked potatoes because I wanted to have a conversation with him about organic farming and this work that I was considering doing. And I was just going up there for a day of field work in the fall. It's beautiful foliage. And so, um, you know, potatoes kind of get like brought up to the surface of the dirt with a, tra- a tractor attachment that gets dragged behind. And then they're all kind of laying there half in the dirt, half not. And you have to pick them up and put them in baskets if that's the way you're doing things. So I did that day of work. And in that day of work, I lost my wedding ring. And that was my first wedding ring. And I always wondered, did I, um, when I, I remember, I can physically remember, or I don't know if physically remember is the right thing. I have to talk to somebody about that. I can mentally remember 
um, being in the kitchen of the hostel where I used to cook pizzas on Monday nights and washing my extremely dirty hands, um, just covered in beautiful organic Vermont soil um, at that sink. And, and I've always wondered, did I did my wedding ring go down the drain? Because I don't think that that drain had a, a drain guard or whatever you call it, a, a sieve on it. So this is, dun, 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 I would say 2016, so four years ago. So anyways, I, I got another wedding ring. I lost that wedding ring. Um, I can't even remember where I lost that one. And I've just been hanging around for the last two and a half years without a wedding ring. Well, three months ago... Our mutual friend, Aaron, the farmer, texted me and said, I found your wedding ring. Tell me your address. I'm going to send it to you. And his friend, Doug, had gotten a brand new. Ooh, I forgot a part of the story. The next Saturday, I um, went back to Vermont. I drove from Boston at like 5 in the morning with a metal detector. And I went out in the field and tried to find my wedding ring with a metal detector like all morning before it was time for me to go back to Boston. So it was between the hangover I had and, you know, the toxic shame and losing my wedding ring. It was one of the all-time worst trips ever. So, so Aaron found it. His friend Doug got like a brand new high-tech metal detector and uh, – Searched the field for it. Not he wasn't searching for it. He was just doing like he was just metal detector guy. You know, I mean, we all know a metal detector guy, and we all know or metal detector person. I've seen plenty of metal detector women, and you know, we all know what we think of them. Well, I'm I now have a special place for them in my heart. Ring was found. It was certified mailed to me, and I presented it to my lovely wife on our anniversary this year, um, where she put it back on my finger at dinner. Or whatever we were doing, probably just in the living room listening to the kids scream. So um, my wedding ring is found. I think that's a fun story. That's a great story. <laughs> Vermont. <clears throat> that's amazing. So, anyways, all right. Well, any? Uh, what are you going to do election day? And then we'll we'll cut it off. Like, are you? What are you? Have you visualized the day? Anna's really into people visualizing the day. How are you gonna? How are you gonna get till midnight Eastern? I mean, you know me. I like to read the news a lot. Um, I'm going to try to not read the news or check anything until the evening. I'm going to try to go about my work day, get some stuff done, maybe smoke a little bit too much marijuana, but otherwise really just kind of let it let it start in the evening, and then maybe I'll stay up. I don't know. I Do the, the numbers of pre-voting, you know, if you see the number of ballots that have already been sent in, I mean, we're approaching 100 million. And how many people voted in 2016? Like 130 or 40 million. So it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a marijuana question because it's legal and you're an adult and you know no one can judge us. And it's legal here too. So there's even though federally it's not, it's legal between the two phone lines. So do you ever worry that you're gonna like? Do you know that the strain of marijuana you're gonna smoke will, no matter what the result, make? Because like you, you can be having a great time on weed and then think about something, and have uh, have it be a terrible time all of a sudden, and go into like a two hour like shitty part of being stoned, and that's why I think a lot of people don't smoke. So. What do you like? Do you know that you've got like election night weed where if like Trump pulls off Pennsylvania and it's like too close to call in Florida that you're going to be glad that you're stoned because you can't get unstoned? 
no, I mean, you can only go deeper. Then it's like, do you pull out edibles or not? <laughs> that, that would be where, you know, like, do I got to, do you really need to go down a rabbit hole? I think is the, is the real question. Like, does it get to that point where, oh, I plan, I really want to listen to, um, I think Rogan's having a bunch of people down to the studio that do a bunch of stuff like they did last time, which was hysterical. I don't know if you ever heard the one, the end of the world podcast they did from, I think it was the comedy store in 2016. I mean, it was one of the funniest four hour podcasts I've ever heard in my life. And they were live, like live, live streaming. And there's, you know, a bunch of comedians, you know, both liberals and conservatives there. And uh, there was a lady who said something and then Bill Burr lays into her about being, you know, a liberal snowflake crybaby or something. And oh, but dude, it's brilliant. But they're doing that again this year. So I might watch that. Um, only for the comedic, and I don't have TV, like we don't have cable or like regular TV, so I can't flip between CNN and Fox News and <clears throat> MSNBC to see how crazy the pundits are going. Well, you could get like three different browser windows open in your on your laptop if you wanted to, and you could just do you could do NPR like politics on the radio. Nothing. That's true. The the I heard that someone do a NASCAR race on the radio when I was driving around yesterday. I gotta say that was one of the most talented trio of people. Like three hours, a two hundred and fifty mile stock car race on the radio. It's it, it. We'll leave that for another podcast. But that was that blew my mind. And uh, you can describe the same minute and thirty seconds. Oh, like fifty times, one hundred. And they were they had three people clearly because they had to pass it to each other because they would like the, their larynx would literally fall out if they were trying to do it. And here comes Ten Williams on the outside up to the bumper. It's like this was this was in lap two. They were doing it that intense, you know. And and we're in, we're under caution. And they like describing the you know the pit truck going back into you know the um the pit lane whatever it's called. So anyways, it's something I'll talk to Max about on the podcast. All right, Giles. Well, I feel a little bit guilty, like I dominated the pod, even though you know. It's your pod. I know. But it was good. It was nice to speak with you. I miss you guys. I'm I miss you. You guys are well. You know, come up with another. If you want to do, if you want to do forty minutes on um, digging dirt, that that's you know removing a stump. That's pretty landline. If you want to, uh, I don't know. If if we could, we could do. I told you we could do forty minutes on uh, my kid asking who Jesus was. That's a good one. Wow. And what is your, because your kid is older than mine, truly the last thing I'll ask you, what is he, your oldest kid is six and a half? Yep. So what is his, like, what does he know of Trump? Uh, That uh, he refers to, um, so, you know, NPR will be on in the car, and he'll just ask us to turn Donald Trump radio off. Yesterday, Homer, my three and a half year old, someone was saying something, and he, you know, he's, he, they just parrot what you say. He's like, he just like said Donald Trump, yeah, and then stomped off the other way into the yard. Yep. So. Sounds about right. All right. Well, thanks for being on the pod. It's been too long. We'll make sure we do this. I'm telling you, I'm in a phone booth. I'm in a vintage phone booth. Uh, everything's set up. There's going to be more podcasting. It's amazing. I'm proud of you. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, brother. Go Packers. Yeah, Patriots are, that's, yep, it's over. 20 years, it's over. But go, I guess. Such a short run you had. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're going to, yeah. 3 and 13 is my prediction. All right, talk to you later. Love you, brother. Be well. Bye. Love you, too. We're back again.
days are through Festival Festival.